Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. It's season two of Puzzling Company. Okay. <laughs> I was not ready for that. I'm so excited. Like, we're starting a new season. I'm pumped. I'm hyped. I can't oh, help it. No, I'm excited. I just, I was not prepared for the musical number. Yeah, I felt like we needed a little theater flair, a little, like a number. Maybe, uh, what's it called in a, uh, in a musical, the, uh, the, the overture that sure, would yes. set the tone that we're always coming back to throughout the season. Yes. I can't wait for you to open an episode singing. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm excited too. We just want to say thanks to everybody for supporting us in season one. Mm-hmm. We're back here in season two and we have picked a banger to start off season two with. <laughs> a banger. <laughs> It's a great game. Uh, This is a game that I've talked about a lot over season one. If you went back through season one and I think kept like a tally mark of games that we've talked about that we hadn't had on the podcast yet, this game would be like miles ahead of the other games. Yeah. But we're super excited. The game that we're talking about, of course, is Root of All Evil by Cracking Up Mysteries. Angela, the creator, was on our very first episode of season one with her game Soup. We just thought it was poetic to have her back for season two, episode one. And we're super excited to jump into this episode. So hang around with us. Hey friends, Jared here asking you to join our Patreon community. Monthly support is a great way to help us in our mission of growing the at-home puzzle and mystery world. So check out our show notes or go to patreon.com and search puzzling company and find the membership level that's right for you. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company. Definitely, definitely think about joining our Patreon. We are doing some really cool things. Doesn't matter what tier you come out in it, we would love to have you as one of our patrons as we just continue on our adventure. Right, Zach? Yes. Exciting stuff. Please, please think about joining that. It would be great to have you. What we are doing here in Section 1 is what we love to do, which is talk about these games and... This game has a lot to talk about, Zach. I think the first thing I want to discuss is specifically the journal. You can't not talk about the journal. Yes. So if you've played Root of All Evil or know anything about it, there is a journal involved. Uh, This journal is the centerpiece for all of the narrative that will happen throughout the game, generally. I think it's the centerpiece for the game, period. It is. There's a lot of information, one, in the journal that is narrative based and like world building alone but then it also has some elements in it that need to be solved to kind of help you understand more of what's going on yes. kind of some more uh, like tiny hints and details in the background that you haven't noticed yet it's it's just beautiful i think how they created it alone is just phenomenal it's very good quality the writing's great you can tell it's aged in certain elements and the writing style and the words that they use it's just very well done i enjoyed i think one of my favorite things about this game was taking it home and reading this i agree and going down the rabbit hole that uh, our poor character francis must go through to understand what's truly going on whenever i see a journal in any type of puzzling experience that i'm a part of I instantly have hesitation. I don't know if you feel that way. 
But every time, like immediately when we opened up that box, because I felt like we did a really good job of not reading other things so that this would be as fresh of an experience as it could be. Mm -hmm. I saw the journal and I was kind of like, okay, because you just don't run into fantastic writing or engaging elements of a journal. It just feel, it feels like the cop out in larger experiences, but I am a hundred percent on board with what you're saying. Like in terms of reading narrative journals in these types of games, this made me rethink that position a hundred percent. Jared will tell you this. Um, I, I love this game. Uh, the journal has been in my desk ever since we played the game. I just, it's like one of my favorite elements of any game I've played. It's just, it's very good. So to kind of move on to the next thing, the the other part we really enjoyed that kind of goes with the journal and everything is that how the immersive elements fit into the game. That's including, if you don't know how this box arrives to you, it is this nailed shut box. Literally nailed shut. Correct. We easily spent 25 minutes of our experience opening the box. Because we weren't sure if it was supposed to be that (laughs) way. Yes, we were like, are we going to break this? Yep. We are very worried we were going to break the experience. And we and it kind of started us off on a sour note, if I'm being honest. At the time, we were worried but because it didn't feel like that's what you should do. No, no. And and it kind of, it, it, it's so tantalizing. Like, it has, like, moss creeping out of it a little bit. But then you realize once you get into the game why that was an intentional decision. Oh, yeah. Most players want people to get into their box to play the game. This game does not. Yes. <laughs> if you go into any of the narrative, you will learn very quickly why this was nailed shut. And that's, I think, one of the awesome parts is that every element in this game means something immersive-wise. Yes. I don't think there's one thing in here that didn't have an intention of either feeling super immersive or purposely being made to be the way it is. Because every time we open up something new or we mess with the box, it had purpose. And there's, you know, a bunch of things that you don't know about the box as you keep unraveling through all the different items of what you could do. So, yeah, at first it was a little weird just because we weren't super positive that we could get through the box because that felt off at the time. But it was so rewarding now knowing why it's that way and has the narrative. This is going to kind of go in our third point, but into the world building of the whole experience. Yes. Is that... This game's world building is phenomenal. I enjoyed every moment of it. It drives you in with introducing you to your character, who is Francis Whitmore. You kind of get the journal kind of gives you a basic understanding of who Francis is because Francis has became the new pastor at the North Michigan Asylum. And this is kind of his journey of going through and kind of learning more about the asylum's past, what's truly going on there, as well as who he really is because this isn't just some normal person as everyone is they're hidden secrets about everyone deep down and you're going to learn about the real character francis as well as what is truly going on it is i I totally agree with you this if you want to put in the time to making a premium experience that embodies what it's like to build a world for your players this game does it potentially the best that i've ever seen it follows kind of, if anybody's ever played a Mysterious Package Company, it's that type of feel. They're giving you authentic ephemera to play with, to touch with. There's necklaces, there's Bibles, there's there's all of these things that you just get to touch. And like from the perspective of tangibility, it's just like candy, pieces of candy after piece of candy that you get to interact with. And you're left with this journal 
and all of these items to try to make sense of what's going on. And then additionally, what your role in the story is going to be. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm a hundred percent with you. It was just so engaging to open this up and then to narratively wish that I had never opened it up and figure out all of the juicy details. There's a couple of things that I want people to realize and Zach, I'll, I'll throw this to you. This is a primarily narrative experience. It is, it is 99% narrative based. Right. With, with some puzzles sprinkled it. Like you, you need to realize if this game is a solar system, the journal is the sun Yeah, and everything else that you encounter revolves around that piece. Correct. There are some puzzles inside of the journal that when solved by using other information or making connections between other elements that are inside the box and in the journal, you will get more narrative background information or kind of secrets of what's truly going on. This is also mostly narrative, but also kind of gets down, I'm going to call the creepy vibe. So if you're not a person that really likes that stuff, it's going to kind of throw you off because I will personally say I was surprised how much of a spiral of madness this book becomes when it's just Francis kind of trying to understand his role and you get to learn more about him. He meets some people that he thinks is weird. He has these weird elements start. He starts to observe and then he starts learning more and more about the box he specifically gets and all the other elements of his family's past as well as his sister's involvement and what she knows and what she's helping with. It just spirals until the end. It's funny because in my opinion, it's like mostly a normal journal for someone who would work at an, an insane asylum. Absolutely. But then it, it ravels to where he, you, I'm going to say it. He goes insane. He, you know, you don't know what's truly going on. What's real in it. You're questioning it. And that's the most intriguing part is that at the end, I'm like, okay, I can't tell if he's just going, like if the character's going mad, if I'm going mad with understanding what's going on now, like who, What's going on? What's it, this cursor idea that's being spread it around? It sucks you. It, it does what every great book, movie, game does. It sucked us so deep into its world. Mm-hmm. We were way down the pathway before we even knew what was happening. And here, in my opinion, is what is the icing on the cake for this game. The setting for this book, this is a real place. Mm-hmm. There's a tree that is talked a lot about in the game. That tree is real. After you play this game or during the play of this game, you can go research. This isn't some fictional setting for yep. this game. I went there this summer. You did. And walked around the grounds of the asylum. I will be 100% real that I chickened out on going to the actual tree. But I think that speaks volumes to this game. Mm-hmm. This game freaked me out in a deep way, <laughs> for better or worse. But... That place, man, if I would have just gone there, I would have thought, oh, this is cool. They've converted it into kind of like a little shopping modern area. Didn't feel like that for me. Felt like people were looking at me from the windows and I did not want to be there at nighttime. They even have a uh, tour of the unlit tunnels. Heck to the nah, man. Like not doing that. But (laughs) that's what's so great about this. It it builds this world that is it fictional? Is it real? Are we a part of this? Are we not? About, like, oh, this game is just fantastic. You need to play this game if you're okay with, like Zach said, a, a big creep factor. Yeah, there was another element that I know I personally received that scared the crap out of me after the game was done. 
And uh, yeah, I question all the time if it's actually real or not because of that element. Just masterful, masterful game. Yeah, I, I love it so much. And the last thing I'll throw in here before we move on to talking about our room for improvements is this was mentioned uh, two episodes ago when we were talking about our secret Santa group. This was a secret Santa game. Mm-hmm. Like this game is so good. And thankfully, Angela took a risk on it and put it out there because to me, this is like one of those what I would call like a must play game. Like you haven't fully experienced the at home and puzzle mystery world if you haven't played Root of All Evil. You're missing out not playing this game is what I would say mm-hmm. on so many different levels. But that's really going to wrap us up for our likes. Let's talk room for improvements. Zach, if you want to kick us off. And I know this first one hurts you a little bit because we've praised this element so much. But I think it's just an, a, the, a nature of the beast. Yeah. So Jared's, <laughs> I, I put it that way, is no, it's, it's understandable. Our first real room for improvement for this game is actually about the journal. It is that if you play this game with more than one person, reading the journal is more difficult if you truly want to dive into it, right? right? Because if, let's say in in the scenario, I read the book aloud to Jared. Jared can't see the pages. It would feel weird because he can't really, uh, you know, like it's that thing of when you hear someone like read a story to you, you might comprehend it slower or try to catch on everything, but then the person reading it could also have its own issues. So it felt like a mess at times because we tried doing that at the very beginning and we both were not getting the, the journal was not getting the attention it deserved from either of us. Absolutely. So we decided to split it up and have like, I took it home first and read it for like two days and then I gave it to Jared and then we came back and discussed what the journal was about. And that worked great, but it does feel like it could feel disappointing in the scenario that you play with multiple people. And when you read it, you're like, okay, it's this long journal. We really can't read it quickly as well as we both want to observe everything that's in there, especially when there's puzzles and other small hidden elements. I agree with you. Like, a decision is made in my mind when you decide to do something that requires a large amount of reading. And this is not a short journal either. And it shouldn't be because the story that's in it is fantastic, but it does put an impetus on this game might be best played by yourself. In my opinion, if, if you really want to just dive deep into everything that's going on, I would be terrified to play this game by myself, (laughs) but that was the the biggest struggle point in this game for Zach and I. It was, we discovered that the journal was the focal point of everything that it was going on. It didn't feel right reading it out loud. So Zach took it home for a weekend, read it, gave it to me. I read it over the course of the couple of days. And then we kind of came back and dealt with the physical items and sort of the puzzling that was left. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe this might be even more of a, you should be aware of this than a room for improvement. Because if you make that decision to go the journal route, that's just going to be what it is. Yeah. You're not going to, it doesn't make sense in my mind to put a second journal in there. Like, why would there be a second? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So I I think I, I would phrase it more as like, just be aware of this. If you are getting involved in this game, it's not going to be something that you would even really want to sit down in one setting and try to play through. In addition to the fact that a lot of the physical elements in this game can also be in what I would call ancillary puzzling. Mm-hmm. If you're playing this game to try to play it as a truly puzzle experience, that's just not the point. Yeah. So I've heard other people, I've seen other reviews that say, oh, the puzzling, da-da-da. 
if you're playing this game, know that you're here for the narrative and that you don't even have to solve all of the puzzles in this game to fully realize the entire narrative. Yeah, you can technically just read the journal as it is and you'd understand enough of what's going on. Now, the other puzzling it's some that revolve around the journal give you specific feedback or hints at what's truly going on or getting more of an understanding of why the events are unfolding as they are, right? There's also the elements that are in the box that help kind of explain that. Some of them, though, are just like you solve it and it's just like a small narrative bit that doesn't technically solve anything in the book. But it, like I said, it's just more of understanding the world building. Yes. Um, so, yeah, this game isn't like for people who only want puzzles, this game really isn't for you no but if you enjoy stories this is one of the best i agree and i and it's not to say like you just have to understand the puzzle's place yeah in this game and that drives us in really into our second like we call it room for improvement but i think it's just making people aware of what this game is is this game is and it says it on the website this game is creepy it can be I don't know if scary is the right word, but it, it dives into some deeper, darker subject matter. Mm -hmm. Be aware of that. It is more narrative focused. Be aware of that. It is a little pricey. And we're going to talk about that in our second part of the show. Pricey is not even the right word. It is a little more expensive, I mm -hmm. would say. Be aware of that. But for all of those factors, don't let that stop you from playing this game. This is just be aware of that. It does have a good hint system. It's online now as of the recording of this. Um, also, be, also be aware that there are some instructions that come with this game to help you. Zach, we had an interesting story with that during our game. Yep, we did. <laughs> Why don't you tell us that story? Um, so we had completed the game and we weren't sure. Uh, okay, because this game is a little bit different than normal, we did not understand how this game was going to flow, right? We thought it was mostly narrative, but we knew there was some puzzling. So after we completed everything we possibly could, we were confused because I was like, okay, I don't know if we're missing anything or there's like some secret website link or like place we need to go or do we tell Angela that we're done? Like, how does this end? Because it felt like we had solved everything. We were stuck. We were stuck at a point of we were done, but we weren't sure we were done. So we emailed Angela and we were talking to her about it and we're like, hey, we're like, are we done technically? And she's like, yeah, there should be like an instruction thing that kind of helps you like wrap up everything. It also has like kind of like an answer sheet to help you understand if you solve the puzzles correctly. And we were like, what are you talking about? Like, we didn't have that. <laughs> we didn't have that. Turns out after me messing with the box so many times in our closet, the instructions that were on top of it had fell to the bottom of our closet space and had been covered by another game. So when I looked in there and found it, I opened it up and it had like the result it had the ending in it like the ending resolution instructions and like if you completed Every, the everything that we needed to confirm it was there and we had just been sabotaging ourselves oh agreed yeah it was just hilarious because when we opened it i was like oh yeah this does tell us and angela definitely got a great laugh out of that as oh yeah well. yeah totally totally fits but unless you have anything to add i think that really wraps up our experience yeah no i this i'll say this many times this is by far one of my favorite experiences of all time I was hyped for it the entire time it sat in our closet. Jared will tell you that I anticipated and tried to open that box many times just to see what was in it. And uh, yeah, I, we got rewarded with a great experience. Very, very, very special game. Yeah. Very, very. It will sit on our shelves proudly for as long as we are doing this and probably beyond. I kind of want to get rid of the box, but <laughs> that's for a narrative. I, I, think, I think that sentiment is shared by people. 
if you're curious about what that means, go to crackingupmysteries.com and pick this game up. It's just so good. But uh, hang on with us. We have Puzzles to the People coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Puzzlers, we need your help. We need you to leave us a five-star review so that more people can find us. It doesn't matter if you prefer the black and electric green of Spotify or the medley of pink and blue at Apple. Go to wherever you listen to this podcast, click that five-star rating, and let's grow our community together. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the second section that is Puzzles to the People. In this section, we get to discuss topics that are kind of around the community slash around the topic of the game that we're playing that week, as well as we sometimes cover reviews, things that people have left about games, and we kind of discuss between me and Jared if we agree with it or just kind of go on our our little tangents, right? Absolutely. We have a lot of fun with that. And today, we're going to be talking about something that is a little bit of a hot topic. Okay. I alluded a little bit to it in the first section, but we've got to talk about at some point what games cost. Okay. And I want to be careful in this conversation because I think some listeners will say, well, you're reviewers. You don't understand this. More often than not, you get sent a complimentary copy of a game. But that doesn't mean that we weren't, when we first started or doing this before we were doing the podcast, that we weren't spending our own money or that we don't understand what that financially means. We also still in our, with our own money, do Patreons and, and our, uh, yeah, the Kickstarters. Kickstarters. Sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not, it's not like everything we've done is for free. We've clearly spent enough money to understand, or if we don't, you know, like with the game that we have currently, it is a thing of, I mean, we're like everyone else. We've, we've all spent our money on things. So. Absolutely. But I think the biggest reason I wanted to have this conversation with you, Zach, is what I hear as one of the biggest barriers to entry in our space is price as it relates to value. Mm-hmm. Because unless you're incredibly forgetful, you play this, you spend it, depending on what game you're playing, a good chunk of money, and then you're done with it. Yep. Now, I will say there are a lot of creative solutions to this. But just first gut reaction to that on, is this an expensive pastime hobby indulgence? Is it an expensive yeah, hobby? Yeah, not, not specifically. We'll get into Root of All Evil and what it costs specifically. I'm talking, think about all the different games that we play, all of the different options. There are games that you can get for free right now. There are games that can cost upwards of $1,000, maybe even more if you consider some puzzle boxes, things like that as experiences. I think for the average person, though, it's not... Okay, it's expensive. In general, you're paying, let's say... I think on average, most mass market games or companies that do like the subscription is like $25. I would say $20 to $50 range. Sure. I think now, that's where a majority of most games fall. Now, is that expensive? It can be, yes, depending on how you are financially, right? That's just a fair understanding. Like, it's relative. It's where, relative. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, as an example, in an adjacent space, go see a movie. What does that end up being? Generally, if you go see when there isn't like sales, it's like, I'm guessing like 15 bucks, you know, for an adult. So, let's say you bought a $20 experience, right? That's like the equivalent is both of them probably give you a few hours of, of an experience, right? If it's at home or through a movie or whatever, it's all up to you relatively. If you like want to put that amount of money in for that amount of time, the experience, I think what does matter 
in more in my opinion is that there are some games that are i would say some of them are more immersive experiences or more high-end have been more in the like 80 buck to like 150 range right that's when you're floating into this idea of like a premium quote unquote premium experience premium experience yes it is expensive but you i think so far out of all the games we've played over the last year and so i don't think we've played like a premium experience game that didn't feel worth it like in terms of the items look like they like you paid enough to like make them the way they look they do the box it comes in the experience the gameplay itself the puzzling if there is a puzzling element it's all been relatively worth it i'm gonna say like in my opinion yes right it does come out to be kind of like a quote-unquote expensive hobby like if you were buying in general let's say you buy all of them you're someone who goes on Kickstarter or you're you're buying these games pretty averagely, you it does end up costing a good bit. But you could do other things and spend the same amount of money. It, it's just depending on your perspective on it. But I think what you pointed out as well is a very valid point is that in these things, it is kind of like a one and done most of the time. That if I did spend like $100 on this puzzle, this premium narrative experience, it might take me two to three days to completely read through it and understand what's going on and solve it. But then it's done. And then it's just sitting there. Sure. But there are usually in those premium experiences, there are collectible things or things of value that you keep as like memorabilia that I think make it worth it. Yeah. Now I think that's a great point because it also depends on what your end goal with the game is. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of creators have been really intelligent to send reset packs or make games replayable and then great now you can hand it to two or three other people they're getting that experience and then you're able to justify in your mind like oh well then you know we got this many plays for this amount of money that makes it a little more worthwhile yeah right because that's the big argument as we look at adjacent spaces of like board games you and I can play Settlers of Catan a billion times agreed and we paid what 50 bucks for that game like the replayability Video games are the same way. Movies, if you are not seeing them in the theater, but downloading them or purchasing them. But stuff like this, it's a little bit harder. What are some of the strategies, whether from purchasers or creators that you have seen out there who recognize the nature of this piece? You've already said collectability, which I agree with you. For for me personally, I'm not a big game reseller. If I have it, I want to keep it, put it on my shelf, put it on my wall, I have that, I hope it's not serial killer-esque, but I have that type of collector mentality personally. Mm. But what else have you seen out there that kind of helps with that? Yeah, it kind of depends. I know reselling is a pretty popular thing, depending on the game, especially if they're made like more board gamey in terms of their simpler products. But yeah, I think collectability is one of the biggest things when it comes to the big experiences, because usually there's some artifact or element that makes it worth keeping. Jared, even companies kind of help with this problem, don't they? Yeah, so if you look at, let's take Krakenet, we're talking about their game after all, they have a buyback program. Mm. They will buy Root of Evil back for you. Part of that is also a sustainability reason. But then what they do is they say, you bought it, we'll buy it back and give you, or we'll take it back and then give you 20% off the next game that you buy for us. So I feel like companies are understanding that this is, especially I think in the subscription world, like this isn't always sustainable for people there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different things a lot of different factors especially based on where you live as well but there are ways if you want to be involved on this that you can do it i I agree with you i don't think 
cost is the ultimate prohibitive thing. If you can come up with 50 bucks, you can trade your way to a lot of great experiences and mm-hmm. never spend another dollar, which is what I feel like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And and the owners seem to be okay with that mostly because yeah. they know not everybody's going to want to buy a used game, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to want to buy a new game. So when we think about today's game, talking about root of all evil, we probably invested how many hours in this game? Six, seven hours. If you're talking about like the pure puzzling, like, uh, like I mean, the, reading and everything. Oh, that's a lot. Um, I'd maybe, say maybe I, 10. I'd say like 10. Yeah. So to me, that's the calculation that I'm always thinking about. When we talked about this a little bit, when we had our episode about like, what do you value most? Mm-hmm. We both said time. So time versus money. Okay. This game retails for $135. I put 10 hours into it. $13 an hour. I'm, always willing to spend 26 to $35 on an escape room, which is just an hour. Mm-hmm. And yet this does things that escape rooms I think can only dream of. So I, I just think that when you really break it down into the numbers, game price kind of fades away. If you really think about your involvement, in I think it. another big point is specifically the experience itself you know, there are some more premium experiences that are made for most people. I think one of the things that Krakenut does flawlessly is specifically in Root of All Evil and in Soup, I remember it being, uh, they are personalized to you. Yes. The mail I get from Root of All Evil is to me. When we played Soup, you know, in that experience, we were given identification cards that had our name on it. Things were written to us. It's very personal. And so that... I feel like, at least to me, if I was playing a premium experience and it was made for everyone and it wasn't really personalized to me, I could understand the price being part of more of an element why you could not want it or it'd be harder to get into it. But when I put in this money and the game is clearly made for me, it makes it feel worth it even more. And maybe that's just my idea, but it felt amazing being able to open the box and it's like, okay, okay, Zach, I see you've opened it. Now it's time for you to see what you're about to do. And it's like, oh, this is all to me. And there's someone talking to me and the characters discussing with me and this and that. It just feels, it feels like the money was worth it more. Absolutely. When it comes to like the more expensive premium experiences versus like a game that I pay like 200 bucks and it's for anyone. It still would be, depending on the game, could be worth it and awesome. But I think what I love about Root of All Evil is that it made it feel like we put money in, but you know, more money than the average game, but every element of it was like pure made for me to enjoy the experience. And I, and I think that's a important reason why places like puzzling company exist is because anybody can put together a premium experience, but very few can put together items, journals, all of this, like we talked about to build a world that beyond just the sum of its components, the game the experience, the narrative is worth that amount of money. And if you can find a way to save up for these games, I just feel like you're going to find that it's worth your time. It's going to be worth the investment of a really, really cool, unforgettable experience. And it's hard because I think about this all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a numbers person than I am of a, a words person. I, I think in numbers a lot. I think about a lot of the games that we've played over the course of season one, and I'm always thinking about value, right? So uh, I I believe uh, Hack Forward, we played that. It was eight episodes. That game retails for, I believe, about 
80 US dollars. I could be wrong, could be 80 euros, which would make it a little more. Either way, every single one of those episodes would be somewhere around like eight to ten dollars. Well worth it. Mm-hmm. Well worth it, in my opinion. But then you go to something like an adventure game, which we had hours, hours. It's fully replayable. Yep. Like that was a dollar per hour almost is what yep. it felt like based on how much we put into each individual one of those games. So it, it spans the the gambit, but I think the, would you agree with the phrase like buying an expensive game doesn't always mean you get a good game and buying a, a cheap game, a cheaper, a less expensive, I should say, isn't going to guarantee you the same quality experience. Yeah, I agree. I think no matter how much you spend, you're not guaranteed anything. I think in general, when you do spend more money, you are receiving a, I'm going to call it a tuned up product, right? If I spend more money and get a premium experience, I would hope that if I spent hundreds of dollars, yes, that everything was premium, like looked like, you know, if it's time-based, like there's aged elements, there's these really cool memorabilia, like small items that I would, it could keep very clearly. I think in other, obviously different adjacent spaces, the more money you pay, you expect more Yes, in terms of the quality of the product. Now, in terms of the gameplay, I mean, you're not guaranteed that. I mean, the person that created it could have created a game that's not your style and you just don't know it, right? Like I said, I think money, the only thing it guarantees is quality of the product, but doesn't guarantee the puzzling experience. Yes. And one thing that we should talk about, and this is important because as our listeners know, in season two, we are diving into digital games. In video games and in digital games, you don't get anything. If you're doing an avatar game or a digital style escape room game, you can't pass that on to the next person. More often than not, that's one and done. If it's a video game back in the day and still a little some today, but I'm thinking about when I was a kid, I could give you my N64 cartridge. But a lot of stuff today is locked by account. Mm. The the idea of like going to Best Buy or going to GameStop and getting a game is fading away. Digital content has become, in my opinion, less shareable. Yeah. So I think that's even a bigger plug for the tabletop world to say like, you are owning that. Yeah. You have it, you can share it. And with something like Root of All Evil, you can pack it back up if you're mm-hmm. careful and scare the snot of somebody else. Like, I, I just think there's extreme value, even if you're not a collector, if you are a passer on or if you are a reseller. Like, I don't, what I'm kind of debunking in my own mind as we've been doing this episode is this idea of like, this is a cost prohibitive world because I think the value is there throughout. Yeah. Yeah. More, more so than, than necessarily like an experience that you don't walk away from anything with. In terms of what you get to continue traveling with, I'm not saying that there's not value in escape rooms, video games, so-and-so. Damn. You just, I feel like there's more, as I always love, what do I always love in games? There's more just tangibility, keepsakeness. This is me. This is collector Jared talking to you. What else are you thinking when you're thinking about game pricing? Is there anything else that really runs through your head that you wanted to add to the conversation? No, I don't have a ton more to add in terms of pricing. Generally for me, I just associate price with quality, like in terms of the element. Cause you know, like sometimes we'll pay like $20 and we'll get an experience that's more paper based, but for $20, that's not saying that's what you should always expect, but that's what I would generally, it's that or a set of cards or something more practical in terms of, you know, but if I pay, you know, 150 bucks for a box, I hope that there are things in the box that make it worth the 150 bucks. If I found paper in there, I'd be disappointed. You know, like if it was only paper. Yes. Like basic white paper. That's a good point. I, I think price does set your expectations for what you're going to get. Yeah. Because I think sometimes 
it surprises me when we play certain games and we only do like I'd say I'm more surprised with this with games I play I when we have paid for it, you know, because I obviously understand paying 20 bucks for a board game or something. You know, we've put we've bought in some games or purchased some or been given some that are on like the lower end of retail, like they're the 20 to 25, 30 buck range. And I play them and I expect not a lot. Just in, generally. in terms of like item quality, quality. Item quality, tangibility. I think it's mostly gonna be like paper, like packages, envelopes, very so, simple things I can do, mess with. So you still have high expectations for the experience, but in terms of quality the, of elements. Uh, elements, I think usually lesser. Not okay. like in a bad way. It's just that's what it is, right? Because you like I said, like in most other adjacent things, the amount of money you're paying, you generally expect more of a higher quality when you pay more money. But in like the games we play, we've played some games that are like 20 bucks and I was surprised they're like 20 bucks. You know, the the experience, the elements that are in it, I would think it's way more. Like yes. I'd be like, oh, I'd spend like 50 for that, you know. And then we've played some higher end games where I'm like, oh, I could probably spend a little bit less for this. But at the end of the day, it ends up, I've been very happy that out of all the games we played over the last year, not many of them made me question the price they were worth. Like they're yes. all worth it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm going to make one final argument. I'd be interested to hear you this before we wrap up our section. I think what is really great about the tabletop world is this spectrumization of price. Because let's talk about escape rooms real quick. Most every single game out there, the tickets are somewhere between 20 and $40. Yeah. Right? That's about right. But there are some experiences that you and I have played that have not been worth it and some that I would have paid way more to play. Yeah. But what's wrong in the escape room market is that culturally we've fallen into this like it should cost 30 bucks a ticket. I wouldn't expect to go to Broadway and pay $20 to get in the door. Yeah. Like I, I, I just think it's really I think it's OK that we have $250 games and $5 games. It makes a lot of sense in this space. And I think it's hard for like the adjacent spaces, specifically escape rooms to do it because there's competition. It's a thing of like, you know, if let's say you and I are competing business people and we both own an escape room, yours is $25, mine's 30. Or I go out of my way and I make like this very high end experience and I'm trying to sell it for like 75 a person. On average, I think less people will pay for it. Absolutely. Compared because they'll look at other escape rooms and be like, oh, I can just pay $30. Sure. And some of those $30 experiences are phenomenal. They're worth the $30 and more. So I think it's hard. It, it feels more natural in the at-home space because there's so many different formats. But it feels like in the puzzling, or sorry, in the escape room world, it feels like there isn't enough different formats that it it makes sense well and it or feels it's not publicly it's not publicly that thing sure you don't know you Correct. don't know what you're gonna get yeah because i mean some escape rooms are like yeah we're more data based or we're longer experiences so that makes sense where they're like okay now it's like 45 50 bucks but there's not like you know in the at-home world there's there's subscription games there's murder mystery games you know there's the you know there's narrative-based experiences print and play print and plays yeah. digital it feels like there's so many already different formats and different styles that it makes sense when you look at them and you're like, okay, generally this style maybe pays a little bit more because it's more like this print plays are generally cheaper. It already feels like it's been separated, but in the escape room world, it feels like even though like a lot of us know there are differences in escape rooms, it feels like for the mass public, 
when you look at an escape room and you look at just pricing, you're going to think they're all the same. But or that's, the, or the experience is going to be the same. That makes my point perfectly. I think what I've been trying to get a point is like in the escape room world, it feels like you're paying for your time and that experience. Yes. But when you look into the at-home mystery, the tabletop escape room world, we look and we say, I'm paying for components. Yes. We don't often talk about time because that's one of the great advantages of this is you don't have to time your experience. But then I'm going to like further that argument and saying like, you look at root of all evil and you say 135 bucks. That's crazy. That's like four escape room tickets. Yep. And this is this game in the hundreds of escape rooms that I've played. This would be worth more than going back and playing a majority of those escape rooms. Yeah. So I'm glad that there is a spectrumization of price, but what I feel like a lot of people would debate me and say like, that's so expensive, Jared. I don't think it is. I think this is a reasonably priced games that you're getting so much value, even though they're one shots. Yeah. I would keep that argument going, I think for a long time Yeah. because I see so many ticketed one-time events that are experiences that are outside your home that you spend so much more money on. I also want to say this as a final point. I think you'll agree with me on this. I haven't met many people in the puzzling world that are in it for purely money. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when we've played escape rooms or we've done adjacent spaces, you know, there are people who join along because they see it, it's doing well, and the product sucks, but they make you pay a lot of money. And I have not met a creator, a person in our communities that isn't in it for the love of the things. Sure. Like, I haven't met a creator yet that's like, oh, I only want money. I have no, I, I you know, right. like they're greedy or it's like, I pay 200 bucks, but I get all paper products. Sure. And clearly they all under, they care, everyone, they care and they all understand that everyone financially isn't the same or that they, you know, cause for a lot of people it's small. Most creators that we have don't sell millions of games. Really none of them do it realistically. You not know, yet. Not yet. We hope, <laughs> of course. But, you know, when Angela, you know, or when Kraken Up Mysteries and Angela creates like Root of All Evil, and this is a personal game, you know, she might sell, a, you know, I hope she sells hundreds, right? But it takes time. And she under, and I like, I know how much time and effort and all of this cost. And she makes it worth it. And I think she's, those people, even if there's a price thing, a lot of them are understanding are willing to help. I've heard them also give deals away, you know, to help certain people. No, I agree. It makes me laugh because I feel like everyone in this space, even if there is some money, like financial things in it, everyone here is understanding and I haven't seen anything that isn't fair. I, I think that's a good way to, to wrap it up. The Just with the love that creators are putting into these premium experiences and everybody's putting into their experience, whether, like we said, whether you're doing one game for the Secret Santa that only one other plays, or if you're one of those bigger companies that does have um, mass distribution and mass market appeal, mm. there's a lot of value in this space. That's I, That's what I'm ultimately trying to argue is we've got to talk about price because it does make a difference to people buying what they're going to buy. But I just can't understand the value in a game like Krakenut or in a lot of the mass market games or in some of the smaller company games we have. There's so much value in this type of gaming, in this yeah. genre of gaming. You should definitely not let that stop you as you continue to play great games. That's going to wrap us up for this section. Questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Jared here again, asking you to keep your eyes peeled this month for your chance to join our email list. Signing up will grant you access to our Puzzles Almanac, which will be emailed to you quarterly. 
This almanac houses the latest in games, reviews, and discounts to all the games that you love. Additionally, anyone that signs up will automatically get three free digital games to enjoy with your friends and family. Keep those eyes peeled, Puzzling Company. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are here in the final section of our show that we call Questions for Creators, and it is an honor to have our guest today, Angela Lawson Scott. She was our very first guest for our very first episode. I will do her a public service announcement and say, listen to that episode, but please, please don't go back and listen to that interview because she absolutely hates it and rightfully so. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in the interview. One funny thing that you should know before we dive into this interview is that for whatever reason, whenever Zach and I get together with Angela, something always goes wrong. Uh, we tell a couple of those stories. It's a funny running joke, but as the fates would have it, that's what always happens. For this recording, we had a wonderful mishap where, obviously, we've been talking about Root of All Evil this entire episode. Angela thought we wanted to rehash the Secret Santa episode, so she took notes and notes and notes, and she showed me those. And then she found out, nope, we were talking about Root of Evil all along. So again, just one of those things that we just always have a mishap, but it's always fun. And we have a lot of love and appreciation for Angela. So let's jump right in. And we're excited to get to talk to her. Angela, it is so good to have you back on the show. What in the world have you been up to since we last talked? A lot. I mean, at least I've got the... uh homeschooling behind me now. So back into concentrating on games. At some point, I would love to actually start playing them again because one entire room is pretty much full of all the games that I have crying out to me to play them. As far as what's on the docket for us personally, we thought we'd have a new game out this year. I think that we put some expectations on us, which freaked us out because we haven't had a creative idea since then, but we are still doing the secret Santa and I'm excited to talk about the three guests that you had on that participated in the secret Santa. So right now I'm probably would say the same thing if you asked me that last year. We're going to try to put out another game, <laughs> continue on the uh, Secret Santa, which every year keeps getting bigger and bigger, which means more and more work, but it's so worth it. And I'm sure you talking to uh, some of the participants can see how awesome it is just from talking to them. I know you're super excited to talk a little bit of Secret Santa because we were talking before the show about that. What were your thoughts on our episode, the guests we have? Did we do what you've been working so hard on? Did we do it justice? Absolutely. Hands down. Uh, Jen, Lauren, and Jillian were absolutely perfect. They all made very different games. They've been involved, you know, like Jen's been there longer. The games that they put out, I can't speak for Jillian's, because I have not played it, but I've seen many, many pictures, so I'm sure it wouldn't be the case with hers as well. Jen and Cheryl's games, along with Lauren's game, 
are without a doubt at the top of my list for the best games I've ever played. So that's bad for them because then I won't get off their backs. You know, you need to make this available. You must create this. You're depriving our our group, you know? It will sell. You got to trust me. So yes, poor Jen has been listening. I've had to badger her, you know, one year longer than the other two. And, but soup came out of it. So I guess I just need to stay on the other two and they'll cave at some point as well. I talked about this a little bit before our interview, but you and I and Zach, we always just have mishaps, a lot of funny moments over the past year that I'm really thankful for. But one of the funny stories starts with you being our guinea pig for our very first episode. And people don't know this, but our original game plan was to have artists, have creators with the questions ahead of time. They record it at their own leisure. It's not live. And then they send us the audio. Angela did that, had a horrible time with it. We never did it again. She's the only one. And that episode still lives on. But tell me about that experience. Well, yes, it was cruel. But you know what is crueler? The fact that people can still listen to it. It's embarrassing. Just when I see it on the list of episodes, I just, I want to cry. It was that bad. So I think you guys still owe me for that one. Yeah, let's, we're done with that question. Moving on. (laughs) Angela, we're going to try to, we're going to try to make it up to you. But if if you go later in the year, as you remember, then we had the snafu of the recon recording. So we asked Angela to be a part of our panel for the tabletop recon panel. And it did not go well, did it, Angela? You want to tell them that story? Well, there was no question that I was a nervous wreck about doing that. I mean, from, from the get-go. And I mean, you... Dave, everyone had the kid gloves on with me, just, you know, building me up, talking me through it. And I had the brilliant idea, you know, I should get my hair done, you know, before the show. And lo and behold, orange. So I spray painted my hair for the show, had it back in a headband. I had a couple glasses of wine, Xanax. I was ready. I was ready for that show. And I thought it was going really well. I was talking, interacting with the other panel, the people on the panel. And I was like, this is, oh my God, this is going really well. I was super relaxed. And then all of a sudden you muted me and it was about halfway through and it was all I could do to not burst into tears So I was like, well, you know, maybe I was talking too much. Maybe I was getting off point and they're just trying to rein me in. So they'll put me back on and when they're ready for me. So that didn't happen. And (laughs) so the whole second hour of the interview, I sat there like a dunce in a corner. I was so upset and I couldn't sign off fast enough. I mean, at the end, all of a sudden it comes around and everyone's like, Angela, it's you. They're talking to you. 
So I had to figure out how to unmute me. So I answered the final question, got off, cried myself to sleep, let it gel for a few days. And then I, I just, I needed to know what I did. Cause it was like, I may never do another interview as long as I live. I mean, I was like batting a thousand. So yes, we realized that it was an error. So we had to do a little separate one with just me and have it all, you know, edited to make it look like I was actually there. So trying to find out what I was wearing that day and I had to spray paint my hair again. But in the end, it it turned out the, I mean, the panel was great, got a lot of comments on it. And you wouldn't know that I had been muted if you didn't already know. And our side of the story is we knew Angela was keyed up and we fat finger muted her. We had no intention of muting her in trying to get everything and move between people. We muted her about halfway through. We noticed it about probably three-fourths of the way through and thought that Angela was just done, that she had said her piece, that she was keyed up, that she was nervous. So we just kind of let it be. No one said anything after we talked a couple days later and Angela was not happy about it. And we, we had to figure out what all happened. And then at the end, we kind of all grew closer and found out some stories about each other. And it's one of my favorite stories now because it really brought us all together and getting to know each other. That's right, Angela. There is always a risk in hopping on with Puzzling Company for whatever, an interview, a conference, a game. You are risking a lot and uh, but honestly a real blessing for us to continue to know and thankful that you keep showing up for these interviews (laughs) i am a glutton for punishment i just keep coming back (laughs) i want to transition to talking about root of all evil because this is what this episode is about this is such a phenomenal game for us i think this is the episode we've talked about more on all of our other episodes combined We just feel like you nailed it on so many different levels, the immersion, the world building, and honestly, the journal. The journal was huge for us. Just take us through this creation. Well, as far as the journal goes, I mean, that was my mom. And I mean, we, as dark and creepy and politically incorrect it is, (laughs) we had a lot of fun writing it. And I mean, the very best compliment, I think, was Dave Spira saying he loved it. And he was like, I know, I'm saying it. I'm saying it. (laughs) I like the journal. You know, and we've had people say, I mean, it could stand alone, you know, on its own. We did this game coming off what ended up being our first Secret Santa. We did the Secret Santa double major. We, we made it for one person. We put a thousand hours in it. I learned a lot. Five mailings, all incredibly personalized because you can do that when it's a secret Santa. Not a good idea to do something that personalized and then continue to sell it for three years because it's horrible to assemble that game. We wanted to tone that down a little bit in Road of All Evil because we knew coming off the secret Santa that we were going to continue making and selling that game. So it's still personalized, not anywhere near to the extent that a 
that double major is. And we wanted to do something different. We didn't want to just be known for one type of game. And we thought we would go dark. Just, I mean, because we're big into, well, like we're big into demons or anything like that. But I mean, who doesn't love a good horror movie or not? (laughs) There's something for everyone. So... Yeah, we wanted, we did this one so that people that don't enjoy puzzles could go through this experience and enjoy it without having to do the puzzles at all. If you if you choose to do the puzzles, of course, it gives you a deeper immersion, um, obviously more information, but it certainly is not necessary by any means. And some of the best recommendations we've gotten have been from people that didn't do the puzzles, which I find amazing. You know, it's a lot, a lot less puzzles than double major because it's more of a narrative experience. If somebody's looking to buy this and they want puzzles, puzzles, give me more puzzles, it's not going to be for them. And there's a lot of reading and you get people that, you know, I don't want to read. So if they're not a reader, you're probably not going to care for it much either. I don't, I mean, I don't mean not a reader. I mean, if you just don't like reading for games, but you like reading in general, then you probably will enjoy it. You know, Um, we recommend that, you know, two people do it you know it's not something again for a huge group although people have contacted me and they've done it you know a big group they shared you know the reading and enjoyed it perfectly fine so everyone's different it's for some people it's not for others we definitely um say that you know it is dark i mean we say we hear a lot of people that say how much they hated the uh, character. We'll just call him the character. And every time I hear that, it's like, wow, we did it. I mean, because that is what we want to get across because in the end, that will play with your emotions, I guess is the best way to say that. So So for this new season, Zach and I have added a new question just to our returning guests. It is a question where we're going to ask our creator to pick sides because you know us now. So my question for you today, and you can't cop out, you can't say, I'd take both or I'd take Jared for this and Zach for this. You got to pick one of us. But for a root of all evil type of experience in real life, who are you taking with you on that adventure and why? I would choose Jared. Probably just for the reasons that we've already talked about <laughs> with just I mean, the, the term I want to use to explain every time we get together. I can't use that term. So, <laughs> But also because because you um, you came to Michigan to Traverse City which is where Root of All Evil takes place, an actual asylum, Northern Michigan Asylum, which then became the state hospital, 
which now is being amazingly refurbished beautifully to a about anything you could want to do somewhere, condos, shops, you know, museum, bookstore, cafes, you name it. And you're not the only person that's contacted us after and said that they went there after playing Rid of Volleyball. So I think that's super cool that clearly it sparks an interest in people. And if they get the area, they check it out. So now I would choose you, Jared, but again, like I said, mostly just because I've unintentionally had to bear my soul to you. So we spent our entire middle section of today's episode talking about the cost of games and how creators price those things. I would love to hear your feedback on that, especially since Root of All Evil is a premium game and there is a larger price tag attached to it. Now, we've said that we think it is well-deserved, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on that. One person and only one, you know, after all this time and we released it and it was 2019 Secret Santa, only one person has said that they felt that it was overpriced. And, you know, we sent out a number of them right off to have people play them. We had questionnaires for them to fill out what they would be willing to pay for it. So out of like 10 people, we threw out the lowest and highest and went from there. And that was kind of where we ended up. And I don't think anyone can ever justify the a creator, justify the cost for a game. I think people that are really into this genre of gaming can justify it because they've played other games. If you have somebody that's a board game player or a card game player, they're going to look at it and say, why would I spend that when I can go to Target and spend 30 bucks and we can play this over and over and over again? You know, there are different levels of gamers. And like I said, the people that play these types of games would be more apt to justify spending the money. And I mean, we've had a lot of people say that we should charge more, but no, like I said, we've had one person that said that time-wise that they didn't get enough playing time to justify the cost of the game. So, I mean, I don't know, like I said, I can't justify it for somebody. <laughs> and, you know, like Jillian, mentioned you know she loves you know the mysterious package company people that play their games i think it's an easy segue into root of volleyball another new thing that we're trying with our returns is we want you to shout out a creator or creators somebody that has really influenced you or has meant a lot to you in the last year. We just believe it's so important for the community, for creators to talk about creators in a positive light. Really hard because again, we're going to go back to the secret Santa. The top five of my favorite games ever, ever, ever are secret Santas. And it just, gosh, that just shows how much talent is out there. And I'm begging, begging them to uh, 
make them available. I could easily talk about Jen and Cheryl McPhillamy. Why they don't do this, even as a side hustle, is beyond me. They're brilliant. Lauren, her first year participating was last year, and I, I've beaten her up and beaten her up, and I think she's going to finally cave and do a Kickstarter in Indiegogo because her game, Morrison's Game Company, evoked emotion like I've never experienced in a game. And I mean, the one time that I, you know, my mom and I were playing Sins of the Father. And at one portion, we both gasped. It was like, oh, like a, oh, sad. That pretty much was the extent of emotion for my gaming life right there. Lauren's game, we laughed and literally ended up in tears. I couldn't even, I was doing the reading and I couldn't read because I was crying too hard. It's that. And I wrote this. She wasn't my secret Santa, but she sent me a copy way after the secret Santa had ended. And, um, and I always, anybody that sends me one of their games, I always like to discuss it, whether it's just in the secret Santa group or in the puzzle people group, but Anyway, I said, Morrison's Game Company by Lauren Bell is a game that we will not stop talking about for some time and is an experience we will never forget. And we still talk about it. Lauren covered all the bases, creative, original narrative with memorable characters that the player is invested in, enough to be moved to tears. The puzzles are fresh, numerous, and varied, fitting beautifully into the story and moving you forward through the narrative with each one solved. The tangible, interactive components are high quality and everything you would expect to find in a game factory. The digital component is incredibly well-developed, immersive, and pulls you into the world Lauren has expertly created. The hint site blends seamlessly into the experience so the player remains in the Morrison Game Company world from the moment they start playing. On the surface, Lauren has created a playful, quirky, and at times humorous story. But look behind the curtain and you will find a deeper story that deals with the way love opens you up, but also opens up the possibility of loss and grief and ultimately hope. Right under that are McPhillamy's. So this year, I don't have one coming from Jen. But Lauren is sending me her copy, and I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am to follow a day in the life of a flea. I mean, you don't hear that very often. <laughs> Angela, we're wrapping up here, but is there anything else that you want to add as we're closing up? It's really been a pleasure. I really appreciate what you guys do. Not for me so much, because we know that I'm always at the end of the stick. <laughs> but you shine a light on this genre of gaming that is still in its infancy. I mean, yeah, the pandemic really brought it to light some, but all in all, as a hobby, it's still in its infancy. So anyone that's gonna take the time to 
get it out there, educate people about what we do, what we enjoy is okay with me. Angela, thank you so much for those kind words, for coming on this interview with us. We are so excited. We cannot wait to see what you come up with next. And I mean, you're our first, well, Jack Fallows kind of stole your spotlight a little bit when he did cryptogram and snuck in there with us for light in the mist, but you'll always be our first. You're the first of season two. Maybe we'll see you again in a year, but thank you so much for all of your kindness towards us. And we can't wait to talk to you again. If you want to pick up one of Angela's games, that's soup root of all evil. She'll probably murder me for saying that they made double major because she doesn't want that out there a whole lot anymore. As you could tell from our conversation, but go to crackinutmysteries.com pick up any of these games. You will not, will not, will not be disappointed. They are wonderful mainstay games of our community. You can also find them cracking up mysteries online, send them a review, send them love. It's a wonderful company with great creators and a wonderful owner attached to it. For us, you can help us in a number of different ways. We would love for you to leave us a five-star review that helps us reach other people. Please, please, please go to social media. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Puzzling Company. We would love to connect with you. If you have a question for us, a comment, some feedback for us, man, we love that stuff. We want to hear from you, our listeners, because that's why we're out here doing all of this, because we believe this is a vibrant and growing community, and we want to talk about these games. That is going to wrap us up for our first episode of season two. So many cool things coming this year. We can't wait to spend another week with you. We will see you all next week for Jared and Zach. This is Puzzling Company. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Rogue Media Network podcast.